As, if you remember, if you've been here before, uh, during Lent, we're in the time of Lent leading up to Easter, traditionally a time of penitence, deep reflection on who we are, who we've been, and where we're going. Um, and we're looking at texts of terror, these texts of the Bible that have been used against certain groups of people. Um, and I am delighted this week uh, to have Sarah Casey with us. She is out of Bothell United Methodist, but is planting a new church in North Seattle. Uh, she is brilliant and will be able to uh, make all of this passage clear to us and acceptable and stuff. No pressure. Yeah. Uh, so Sarah, thank you for joining us. Yeah. So here we are, waist deep in the season of Lent, waist deep the fourth Sunday. And as Colin said, and as he explained to me in preparation for this, you've embarked on this pretty challenging sermon series, Texts of Terror, examining and wrestling with texts that have been used to cause harm to groups of people. And I have to commend you, whether or not you had anything to do with that decision or if it just came from your pastor, it's really incredible. I wish that the church I serve would do that, that you're looking at these texts that are really problematic for us and make us uncomfortable because that is one of the things we are called and invited to do as people of faith, is wrestle with these texts and figure out what do we do with them? How do we hold them in tension without completely writing them off? So I just want to say, good work. Even if you don't come to any nice conclusions, which we absolutely will not today, at least you're having the conversation, which is the step towards transformation and understanding. When we approach any biblical text, we bring our own filters and our own lenses. And so I think we have to name that. Our personal life experience, our Sunday school education, our Christian education, and also our cultural and socio-political context. We take all of that with us when we look at a biblical text. And what's so amazing about the season of Lent is that it's when God invites us to kind of back those layers and kind of name and acknowledge those lenses until we get down to our very core and we're almost exposed and to really practice self-examination. And I was so grateful to be invited to preach here and that you were doing this sermon series because it gave me the opportunity to do that in a way that I would not have had I not been invited. A question that was posed to me early on in my Christian education has been really helpful for me in understanding my own personal responsibility when it comes to reading the Bible. I had a mentor say to me, every time you read a text and every time you try to interpret a passage, ask yourself, does my interpretation cause harm to someone else? Is my interpretation harmful? Or does my interpretation seek to preserve the dignity and integrity of all of creation? And I was told that any interpretation that carries harmful implications is irresponsible. Irresponsible. Now this holds true for me still, but the more I read the Bible, the more I struggle to reconcile what appears to be obvious harmful implications of certain scriptures. 
And this is what you've been doing, looking at these texts. How do we allow a text to speak for itself in its own context, to discern the profound truth that comes out of it, and to continue to hold scripture as sacred? Is that even possible? And I'm beginning to think it's a lifelong journey and question. The Bible is full of texts that have been used to terrorize women. And the truth is, this text that I chose for this morning is rather mild compared to what we encounter in other books of the Bible, especially in the Old Testament. The Old Testament, more than once, more than twice, more than three times, encounter vivid imagery of violence against women. Text suggests that the violence is justified. And so when I was choosing a text, I was thinking about that, and I decided to go with the New Testament because I wanted to express something that I'm wondering if you have heard. When people say, well, the Old Testament is different than the New Testament. You know, I, I don't worship the God of the Old Testament. I'm about the God of the New Testament. Have you heard that at all? Yeah. It just, I, I have to confess that I actually carried that with me and felt that way personally. Some days I still do. But most of my, it really wasn't until my seminary education that I was able to really begin to grapple with the Old Testament take it seriously. I kind of fell into that this trap of thinking the Old Testament was not as important as the New Testament. And that's a whole other sermon in itself I'll leave to Colin for the future. But the point is, the New Testament also presents texts that are problematic for us. Verses that have been manipulated, taken out of context, used to condemn and oppress others. And our text this morning has been and continues to be used to justify not allowing women to enter into ordained ministry or to even be leader in the church, which is sort of ironic because here I am, right? It comes from 1 Timothy, which is one of the pastoral epistles. So we find this in the New Testament. It's kind of filed under letters of Paul, these three epistles, 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus. And these three letters are widely regarded by scholars as not actually being authored by Paul. So I just want to name that. We're not sure, actually pretty confident that Paul himself was not the author of these epistles. And that's important to consider, but even with recent scholarship, and even knowing that, this text has still been used and is still used today in many denominations to justify not ordaining women and not inviting women to be in church leadership. It be hard for us to understand since the United Methodist Church has been ordaining women since 1965. Amen. Since 1965. But the more I was reflecting on our history as a denomination, the more I realized in the grand scheme of history, 50 years is not that long ago. Does anyone here remember when that happened? When that passed? And yes? Wow. 50 years is really... Not that long ago. And women in ministry, even in our denomination, still face the residual effects of the 
harm that for centuries women were not invited to hold positions of leadership in the church. This text doesn't show up in the lectionary. It's not one of the texts that has been chosen to be preached regularly. And so I was surprised to find that there was actually quite a bit of biblical scholarship on this text, considering it's not one that you find in the lectionary. But as it turns out, this text has been widely written about and widely debated. So I thought this is going to be easy. I have so many resources to consult to help shed light on this text. And what I found is that the debate goes so deep. It goes so deep, rooted in this ideology that women are somehow less than. It goes so deep that it's actually not quite that easy to tease out. But biblical scholarship has provided a number of alternative understandings of this text for us. And there are just a few things I want to name. The first is that what comes up in this text is that women should not have authority over men. In a quick word study of this revealed that the Greek word used for authority, actually elsewhere in Paul's letters, Paul uses a completely different word when he is referring to the authority of the church. But the word we find in 1 Timothy has multiple translations into English. So we have a lost in translation thing happening here. And actually, the word that's used that we just read as authority in other contexts means, in other places in the Bible, we find it translated as domineering. Well, there is a little bit of different weight domineering. Well, we don't want anybody to be domineering over anybody else, right? So we have that, that little nugget right there of the problem of what's lost in translation. And then there's this issue of the reference to the creation story. You heard that as the text read. That the reference says that Adam was formed first. Woman came from man. Well, if you go back and you read the creation stories in Genesis, we know there's actually two creation stories. There's two different voices, both telling the account of creation. And in the second creation story, man and woman are created in the same verse, both in the image of God. And so how do we reconcile that? This author is referring to one voice we find in the creation stories. And the other issue that we have to address is that Paul's letters and these letters are written to specific communities and people addressing very specific issues. So it's really dangerous when we take these personal letters. Imagine if someone you know found a letter someone had written to you and decided they were going to apply all the advice that the person had given you in that letter to their own life. Well, just as we bring different experiences in our own lenses to a text, everything doesn't easily apply. And so we have to consider that, that Paul was writing to a very specific community in Ephesus that was dealing with certain issues, and Paul was addressing those issues. So already, and those are just three things that make this text a little bit more difficult to interpret and understand and actually lend itself to help us come up with a more responsible interpretation. You know, I'm really grateful for our 
tradition and for our United Methodist roots. John Wesley believed that living the core of the Christian faith to be a disciple was revealed in scripture, illuminated by tradition, vivified in personal experience, and confirmed by reason. And so whenever we come to a text, we have what you may know and what we know as the quadrilateral. These four other lenses and filters used to help us understand a text. And the truth is, we actually underestimate the weight of our own personal biblical interpretation. We might think it doesn't so much matter how we interpret the scripture, and we might think that we, we don't need to come up with an explanation. And sometimes it's problematic and hard to actually do that. But the truth is, we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility as disciples, as people of faith, to look at tradition, our personal experience, reason, to take all of that into account in order to be able to offer an alternative theological perspective. I love that you had that question, that discussion of what does the church look like and what do we need? That is, I think, the first thing. How would you explain this text to someone who came up to you and said, well, I don't go to church because I know that the church thinks women are less than men. Or I don't go to church because I know that I know women and women that have been called by God into ministry that are not allowed to go into ministry. And so we ask ourselves these questions. And for me, what I hold up as the ultimate truth is that when ideology becomes more important than people, people suffer. And any time the ideology of a text becomes more important than people, we're not doing something right. That God invites us to protect and preserve the dignity of all people. And we know now, you've experienced, you've heard women leaders, women preachers, those of you who identify as women yourselves, you know that God calls and invites us all to relationship with God and into ministry through our baptism and some of even to ordained ministry. We know this text doesn't hold up. We know that. And so now our job moving forward is to figure out how can we hold this text in the tension of its historical context, use our personal experience, tradition, and reason, and yet still consider it to be part of our canon, our sacred texts. As we continue through this season of self-examination, I invite you to consider the weight of your own personal biblical interpretation, holding that text in tension, always seeking the profound truth, but knowing that scripture reveals to us the character of God, and that is that God is good. And through God's goodness and the power of the Holy Spirit, we are invited to see each other as good. And so we continue on this journey together through Lent. What a joy to be able to share in this time of self-examination, of reflection. And as you continue, and I'll be praying for you, as you continue to wrestle with these difficult texts. Thanks be to God. Amen.